the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Oh. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oh, yes, I know. I got I know. the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on iTunes, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. We have, as always, another thrilling, action-packed episode for you today. Lots to get to as the uh, the uh, U.S. Congress is in uh, turmoil, even more than usual, <laughs> as uh, as the uh, the the contest for the new Speaker of the House is roiling Republicans. And frankly, cracking up Democrats, I think, at this point. I think they're just out and out laughing at what the hell the uh, Republicans are doing to themselves. We'll get to that in a moment. A little bit later, uh, we will be joined. Well, hell, let's uh, join her right now. Hey, Desi Doyen, our producer, Desi Doyen. Hey. And my co-host on the Green News Report. How are you? Doing good. Uh, we are going to, uh, of course, we will we'll have our latest Green News Report a little bit later in the program, but... Uh, and covering the biblical rains, the thousand-year rains uh, that were flooding South Carolina and are still flooding them today. But even since we laid down our latest Green News report, things are getting worse. The river continues to rise. The dams continue to break in South Carolina. Yes. And I think... Um, what are we up to now? The 15 uh, deaths? It's either 15 the, or 17. Yeah. I haven't checked the latest uh, since we recorded our Green News report, but nonetheless, it's too many. It is too many for what, you know, we're hopefully would have been preventable if people had paid attention to officials and not gone outside. And had they paid attention to warnings from scientists for years saying uh, strengthen the infrastructure you know, these were earthen dams that gave way. Uh, I think we're up to 11 dams that have now given I way. I think it's 18, eight, now. Oh, it's 18. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, people are being evacuated in all of those uh, lowland areas in South Carolina. Yeah, that's what they've been talking about for years, yep. climate scientists. We had Michael Mann on the broadcast earlier this mm -hmm. week discussing how there are numerous studies that show that 
heavy downpours have been increasing in the United States. Statistically significant increases, like up to 20% more Mm -hmm. big downpours in the Northeast, for example, this one particular study. This is why climate scientists have been warning about this for decades, saying this is going to be a problem. We need to harden our infrastructure and be ready for these events because our infrastructure will be overwhelmed as we witnessed in South Carolina. And we talked about the fact that this is what, the the sixth thousand-year flood that we've had since uh, 2010 in the U.S. alone? Yeah. It, ridiculous. Anyway, uh, more on that coming up in our Green News report, along with uh, India, who is now announcing their plans to cut carbon emissions, despite the fact that Republicans have been telling us that India and China would never cut their emissions. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. so they're wrong again. Imagine that. Uh, okay, all of that uh, coming up as well. Uh, the myth, the well, let's not even call it a myth. The question about whether a good guy with a gun is needed to stop bad guys with guns or if it would simply make things worse. We'll be talking with uh, Joshua Holland about that from The Nation shortly and uh, his report taking a look at that and actually speaking with combat veterans, people who have been under fire, to get their thoughts on it. And he looked at a bunch of studies. But looking at these studies is no easy, uh, easy trick. Because in 1996, Congress uh, gutted funding from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, who had been studying guns as a public health issue. Gun deaths, gun violence, suicide. And we spoke about that recently on the broadcast with David Hemingway, uh, who has a book, Public Guns, uh, Private Health. Oh, wait, do I have it the other way? Private Guns, Public Health. But we can't even deal with guns in this country as a health issue because back in 1996, as I say, the Republican-controlled Congress cut the funding from the CDC. Now, uh, we have, in fact, a great story from Huffington Post's Sam Stein, who went back and talked to uh, the congressman who, at the time in 1996, Congressman Jay Dickey, from Ar- uh, Republican from Arkansas, the Cong- he had spearheaded the legislation that effectively put an end to government-funded research of gun violence. He is now retired. He is 75 years old. Sam Stein at Huffington Post talked to him, and the congressman says, yeah, quote, I have regrets. Dickey said his mind was changed about that amendment uh, that ended federal gun research. His mind was changed after years of watching people lose their lives in mass shootings, like the recent mass shooting at Umpqua Community College that left 10 people dead. Dickey said, I wish we had started the proper research and kept it going all this time. Originally, in 1996, the uh, the GOP House had tried to close down the CDC's entire four, uh, $46 million National Center for Injury Prevention. And when that failed, Dickey stepped in with an alternative. He said they decided to strip $2.6 million that the agency had spent on gun studies that year and made it clear that uh, if they did that again, they would be further defunded. So the Dickey Amendment eliminated $2.6 million uh, that the CDC had spent on researching the effects of firearms on public health. 
It was passed by that Republican-dominated Congress back in 1996, and the NRA, of course, backed the amendment, explicitly stating that, uh, as the amendment did, quote, none of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the Centers for uh, Disease Control and Prevention may be used to advocate or promote gun control. So it didn't out and out say you can't do studies. But it made the case that uh, if you do, we'll come after you. And if you put out a study and if you show the numbers of how many people who have, have been killed by guns, we will call that uh, advocating or promoting gun control. Of course, over the last two decades since the Dickey Amendment, right-wingers have relied on it to make the case that gun violence is not a public health issue. What's, why should it be a public health issue? Just because tens of thousands are killed every year by it? As the uh, Huffington Post reported, uh, Sam Stein, uh, Republicans extended later extended the Dickey Amendment to apply to the National Institutes of Health as well. That was as late as 2011. And uh, in the wake of the Charleston church shooting over the summer, House Speaker John Boehner uh, defended the lack of governmental research saying, quote, a gun is not a disease. Boy, am I glad he's quitting. Maybe. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, anyway, uh, Dickey now finds himself at odds with uh, the right-wingers in Congress, who he says are over-interpreting that law, the Dickey Amendment. Uh, he said that, uh, you, you know, when there are deaths on the highway, they produced safety barriers to lower the amount of deaths on the highway. It didn't stop all the deaths. But it lowered them, and he, he cites that as the kind of common-sense life-saving measures that research can produce. Yes, indeed, we can make safer guns. We can make guns that are harder to kill innocent people, that are harder to be used by the people who are not their owners and so forth. Dickey says if we had somehow gotten the research going, we could have found a solution to the gun violence without there being any restrictions on the Second Amendment. We could have used all of these years to develop the equivalent of that little small fence that is built uh, as a safety barrier outside of uh, along the highways. Indeed. But uh, but no thanks to you, Jay Dickey. We can't do that. Uh, at least he's uh, grown up enough to uh, to to say he resents it, he regrets it now. Speaker John Boehner, of course, is standing by it, even in the wake of all of this death, all of this bloodshed, which reminds us how swell it is that he is leaving. But maybe, maybe he won't be leaving. The Hill reports that uh, John Boehner could actually end up staying on as Speaker. He has uh, he will leave a day before Halloween, which seems somehow appropriate, uh, unless unless the Republicans are unable to find someone to replace him, are unable to come up with the votes needed to replace him. We talked on on yesterday's program. We talked a little bit about this internecine battle going on uh, between Kevin McCarthy the majority leader, the Republican majority leader, who is expected to become House Speaker, but he is, in fact, um, I want to say a poor man's George W. Bush as far as his ability to speak. He makes George W. Bush sound really literate and, and articulate and articulate. And the fact that 
this guy that his job will be Speaker of the House uh, will present no small amount of irony. I suspect in the uh, in the coming days, if in fact he gets that job, because the guy can't put together a sentence without sounding uh, like a knucklehead. Here was uh, here's one of the things that he, he had to say recently. You got that for. Oh, yeah. His visit to Hungary. This safe zone would create a stem of flow of refugees, unlike during the surge in Iraq when Petraeus and Crocker had an effective politically strategy <laughs> to match the military strategy. We have isolated Israel while emboldening places like Iran. The absence of leadership Emboldened. over the past six years has had a horrific consequences all across the globe. In the past few years alone, I have visited Poland, Hungary, Estonia, Russia, and Georgia. Uh, so Hungary. Yeah, and a Hungary and an effective politically strategy. A horrific consequences all across the globe. Anyway, uh, that's Kevin McCarthy. He is now the, uh, the favorite to receive the nomination for Speaker of the House by the Republican Party in their internal vote. But he's going to have to get 218 votes in the full House. And I suspect Nancy Pelosi will find no need to have the uh, uh, Democrats vote for uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and right now, as the Hill reports, he may not be able, McCarthy may not be able to get those 218 votes after uh, what he had admitted publicly about the Benghazi committee, that it was only out there to basically harm Hillary Clinton's chances of becoming president. But uh, if there are no other GOP candidates for speaker, whether it's McCarthy or anyone else who can secure 218 votes when this uh, full House vote takes place at the end of this month, then Boehner would not resign his post as speaker. He would continue on as speaker until they can get 218 votes for someone. And now there are doubts that he can get that uh, 218 of the 247 total GOP uh, votes on the floor. Doubts after uh, his admission about Benghazi. Doubts after questions about him uh, being able to put to string together a, a sentence that actually makes sense. So uh, we'll see. Uh, Jason Chaffetz is running against him. Uh, we talked a bit about that knucklehead Jason Chaffetz on yesterday's show, so I won't go back into that. But he's running against him, as is Daniel Webster from uh, from Florida. Uh, the even more conservative, quote unquote, conservative option. So there are three people going up for this tomorrow. We'll see uh, who gets it right now. Uh, all they'll need is a, a majority of the Republicans to come up with their nominee. And then three weeks will go by when uh, people can uh, rally for or against that nominee. And uh, we'll see then if they're able to get 218 votes. Given the rancorous nature of the current House GOP, the Hill notes, a drawn out process seems very possible, which could lead to a real life Halloween nightmare for John Boehner if he is still the speaker on October 31. Oh, it's going to be a fun month ahead. Uh, no wonder we're going to take a day or two off over these uh, next few days. I'm exhausted already just thinking about what's coming up in the next few weeks, including uh, the first Democratic debate will take place next week. Joe Biden will not be in that debate as far as we know, although he could decide at the last minute 
to join it. Uh, we will see. So there is a lot ahead, a lot to talk about, and a lot more on uh, today's show, including my guest Joshua Holland, uh, who spoke with combat vets about the idea that, boy, if we had more folks like them, good guys with guns, when bad guys showed up with their guns, we'd put an end to this public health epidemic of gun violence in this country. We'll find out if that's true right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Creepy. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Oh, man. All right. Well, in the precious few hours that I think we may have left before the nation completely forgets about the latest national gun-related tragedy, last week's mass shooting at Umqua Community College in Roseburg, Oregon. Before that happens, let's take the opportunity before everybody once again moves on and our our nation's elected officials fail to do a damn thing about it. <sighs> Let's take a look at uh, some of the claims, uh, at least one of the claims heard so often after these events. Uh, Wayne LaPierre, the loathsome liar who heads the National Rifle Association, you may remember after the Sandy Hook massacre a couple of years ago, and 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 then this refrain has been repeated over and over again ever since. But after Sandy Hook, he came out with an idea, an idea of 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 just how we could do something about uh, gun violence. Here was Wayne Lapierre of the National Rifle Association. Here 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 was his plan. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That was Wayne LaPierre, uh, the loathsome Wayne LaPierre of the NRA, the terrorist-supporting, terrorist-enabling NRA. And yes, if you have any doubts about that, feel free to send me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. In any event, uh, LaPierre was calling for more guns, and uh, one of his followers, let's say, a a guy by the name of JPAC80 left a comment at Brad Blog echoing that same silly notion right after Sandy Hook. He said, if more law-abiding, responsible people had concealed carry permits and were able and willing to use their firearms when necessary, how many of you anti-gun nuts really believe he would have gotten off more than one or two shots in a school? Now, setting aside the fact that I am not an anti-gun nut, I sort of uh, share the uh, the opinion with the vast uh, majority of the NRA that we ought to do uh, things low-hanging fruit, 
things like, you know, background checks for every gun sale. But uh, setting that aside, of course, there were armed guards, armed uh, people, good guys with a gun at places like uh, Columbine High School during that massacre, Virginia Tech during that massacre, or even on the military base during the Fort Hood shootings uh, not long ago. So this myth about the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun uh, doesn't seem to stand up. Back in 2009, ABC News took a look at uh, a related issue here and, and, and demonstrated, I think, why these claims are false, at least in a real-life classroom situation. In 2009, ABC News filmed an experiment with students in a class. And these were students that they had trained to use a gun. And it showed how civilians with guns who had received training actually react when confronted by something like a sudden surprise shooting, a bad guy with a gun. Uh, here's a little bit from uh, the results of their experiment, uh, their experiment at ABC News in 2009. Suddenly the room is under attack. The instructor is down. A student hit. Joey struggles to get his gun out, but it's stuck in his shirt. Had this event been real, Joey would have been killed in the first five seconds. If no one ever gets hit in the movies, obviously, real life, I got hit like five, six times. Rounds coming back at you. You got outside environments, people are screaming, running. You know. It's too much for a normal person who's never been trained to, to deal with. It's, it's overwhelming. No wonder police stress. If you want a gun for self-defense, you have to train as they do under stress and without letting up. Even police officers through extensive training, if you don't continue with your training, ongoing training, it's a perishable skill. You'll lose it. Of course, guns have been used to run off intruders, as you see on the Internet. But police have another warning for ordinary citizens. They say, think about the risk to friends and family. You don't see when your mind is in the grip of tunnel vision. And even the range training that you had, yeah. did it prepare you for this? No, not at all. I mean, it prepared me to shoot a gun, but it didn't prepare me to a moving target or getting shot back at me. The thing was stationary as a piece of paper. There was the real life incident when a man at home got his gun heard a sound, went to investigate an intruder. When he saw something move, he shot. It was his wife. She is dead. And we all know how often even police hit innocent bystanders. And a recap now of how our students did. Zero. I'm dead. <laughs> Half of them couldn't get the gun out, including the student with the most training. Those who did get it out couldn't shoot fast enough or accurately enough to save themselves. And there was the constant danger they would kill a friend or innocent bystander. That was ABC News back in 2009. We have the uh, the entire video at bradblog.com. We posted it after 2012, after the Sandy Hook massacre, and after Wayne LaPierre came out with his nonsense about we need more good guys with guns to stop these bad guys. But, of course, you know, that was a police uh, talking in that uh, video. Of course, they want you to get rid of your guns because they're part of the government plan to take over your nation and uh, begin fascism or tyranny or whatever it is the NRA pretends they are trying to stop. Uh, but what about combat veterans? What about people who have actually faced live fire? What are their thoughts about good guys with a gun? Uh, Joshua Holland wrote about this exact thing yesterday at, at The Nation in an article, Combat Vets Destroy the NRA's Heroic Gunslinging Fantasy. 
Joshua Holland is a writing fellow at the Investigative Fund at the Nation Institute. He's also the host of Politics and Reality Radio. Reality Radio. Imagine that. Uh, Joshua Holland joins us now. Hey, Josh, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad. Thank you so much for having me. Really glad to have you here. Okay, who did you talk to for your report? And then we'll get into uh, what you found, because you looked at a bunch of empirical things, not just opinions of these uh, combat vets, but also uh, available reports that are out there. So who did you talk to first? Yeah, that's right. I talked to a couple of combat vets, including a former Navy SEAL who had been through four tours in Vietnam, was uh, wounded in action three times, and taught special operations um, forces, you know, infantry tactics when he got back. I spoke to another vet from uh, who had served a tour in Iraq. He led a combat team in Iraq, and uh, a former ATF officer who had been a member of their SWAT team. <laughs> so these are guys who who are familiar with guns, who are familiar, I suppose, with both bad guys and good guys with guns. Uh, they all seem to come back with a, a a pretty similar drumbeat. What did they tell you about you know good guys being needed to stop the bad guys with guns? Well, so Wayne Lapierre has been a lobbyist for his entire career. He has no concept of what it really means when people start shooting at you. Um, these guys did know that. And what they said is that, you know, the stress response, and you got a little bit of it in that ABC segment. Yeah. There's a natural human stress response. You first get a massive dose of adrenaline. You tend to get tunnel vision. You hear the blood pumping through your ears. Your blood pressure goes way up. Your heart beat races. And um, I also spoke to a professor at the University of Texas who has a training facility for tactical, tr tactical police officers. And he said that one of the, the things that happens very frequently is that you'll freeze up in these very high-stress situations. And another is that you, you um, become incapable of making good decisions. So if you think about these things in a real-life context of somebody starting to shoot, mm -hmm. uh, the things that you don't want to be doing is freezing up, making poor choices, or having tunnel vision so that you can't see what's behind your target. And so all of them agreed that the, you know, the difference is not between a good guy and a bad guy. And of course, you know, these are law-abiding citizens in, in many cases until they kill somebody. Um, the difference is between constant, constant training. And it's not the kind of training you do when you go onto a, you know, a target, when you shoot a target. Mm -hmm. They're doing um, live fire exercises where they, they put, you know, these soap bullets into actual guns, and they set up scenarios, and they actually shoot at each other. How does it work out? Even And well, these are people who are, are, are trained, or this is part of the training that they this use? This is part of the training for tactical officers, yeah. and they do it constantly. So um, the ATF agent, who used to be part of the SWAT team, he had to qualify when he wasn't on the SWAT team four times a year. But when he was on the SWAT team, they did this tactical training every single month. And the goal is what they call stress inoculation. It's to... And, and I'll tell you something, the professor who studied this, Pete, Pete Blair mm -hmm. at Texas University, said that you can never get beyond that stress reaction, it, no matter how much training mm -hmm. you have. It's just a matter of um, getting them accustomed to feeling those sensations and thinking about what they're doing despite feeling those sensations. So the idea that somebody who, 
you know, to answer some questions online and gets a concealed carry permit and then goes down to the range and shoots at some targets is going to be prepared for this type of situation. All of them agreed that this is just a ridiculous idea that's completely divorced from the reality of, uh, of combat. And remember, if you're in a grocery store or on a college campus, all of these things are um, akin to an ambush in military terms. In mm-hmm. other words, they're a surprise. You're not expecting somebody to open fire. In ambush situations, one of the main causes of casualties is friendly fire. So people panic and they open fire and they're not making good decisions mm-hmm. and they hit their own guys. Yeah, and and that was one of the points. Well, a, a couple of things uh, in that ABC News report. Uh, it was a surprise situation where they had these uh, students who had been trained to use these guns and suddenly this guy comes in and nobody knows what to do. It is absolute chaos. Uh, you cite in your article, uh, Josh Holland, uh, veteran uh, John Parker uh, who was actually at Umqua Community College, actually had a gun, uh, and realized, you know, when he realized what was going on, if he had showed up to shoot, he, he realized that he was likely to get shot himself when the other good guys with guns, the SWAT team in this case, uh, showed up. And he, he realized, you know what, I'm better hiding with my gun than I am going in and, and playing diehard. You know, it was a very wise decision, and the FBI has actually issued uh, guidelines for people being caught in mass shootings. Uh, you know, what, what that tells you about our society, that the FBI has to put that out in the first place, is a, uh, is a different story. But they issue guidelines, and they say, if you're a concealed ca- permit carrier, do not use your gun unless, um, unless it's an, a, an imminent situation where somebody is pointing their gun at you. If you have the option of barricading yourself, do that first. If you have the option of hiding, do that first. And they said, if you do use your weapon, make sure you do not have it in your hand afterwards because police officers coming, remember, they're having the same stress response. And their adrenaline is going the same way, and they're trained to look at hands and to identify threats. So, you know, the the idea that he, um, he had that, I'm glad that he had that moment of foresight to say, maybe I should not have a gun in my hand when SWAT team shows up. You know, I think that that was um, a, a really, a really a wise decision to make. I would add that the uh, professor from Texas, Pete Blair, mm-hmm. he studies mass shooting events. And there's this fantasy going around that a good guy with a gun is the way to do this. He studied 186 of these events over the last 10 or 12 years. And what he found is that a fifth of them are, in fact, ended, brought to an end, by civilians. But the most common way to end them in in the real world, not in the fantasy world of, of, I don't know, Ben Carson and his, his, you know, gunslinger fantasy, is they tackle them or they throw objects at them. And in only one out of 186 cases they studied did a uh, real civilian stop one of these shootings with a gun. There was two other incidents where it was a off-duty police officer or a trained security guard. I, I remember asking after um, 
Boy, you know, I want to I want to say uh, after uh, a Sandy Hook, but there have been so many I've lost track. But after one of them, one of these big horrible shootings, I remember asking out on Twitter uh, for weeks, can anybody anybody point me to an example of uh, a good guy with a semi-automatic rifle stopping a bad guy? Because at that point, you know, there was questions about, oh, can we at least limit uh, the size of these magazines uh, or the types of guns uh, used? And no one. No one could point me to any, you know, such event where this so-called good guy uh, had stopped the bad guy with a gun. And, Josh, you write uh, that that police are advised, off-duty police are advised, if they are in such a situation, uh, to, to not try to take down the shooter, but to be the best witness possible after the event. They train them to, to evaluate the situation mm-hmm. and only to intervene in certain circumstances. So they don't say never intervene. They mm-hmm. say that you need to consider whether in the totality of the circumstances, that means how many bystanders are around, if you have a clean shot, if you don't have a clean shot, if it seems that, a, for example, a robber is going to actually fire or is just threatening and will run away, you need to evaluate the situation calmly. And they said in many cases, the best thing you can do is make sure that you're the best witness you can be, make sure that you have the best description of the perpetrator, et cetera, et cetera. So they're even telling off-duty cops, you know, not necessarily, do not think that the first thing you should do is pull out your weapon. And again, part of that is that they're in plain clothes. So when, uh, you know, when uniformed officers right. do arrive and respond, you don't want to get shot. Yeah. The, the whole point is that... When you introduce more guns into a situation like this, you have more bullets flying, and you have people that don't necessarily pause to, um, to, to fully evaluate the situation, don't necessarily have the expertise to control that stress response. All you're doing is endangering more lives. You know, I mean, you don't want a bunch of yahoos who aren't trained in these kinds of situations to go waving their guns around and, and, and opening fire. And, and do you remember back in uh, 2012? It, it you know it's not just the the uh, unarmed police or the uh, yahoos with guns. Actually, trained New York City police back in the summer of 2012. Remember they were trying to stop a gunman at the uh, at the Empire State Building, and they ended yeah, up well. shooting nine innocent bystanders in the bargain. So well, the, that's you know yeah. that's the point that Pete Blair made. He said. Getting back to that point that he said was that you never can truly um, make that stress response go away. So even police officers, even police officers who train in these things, um, make mistakes all the time. So the assumption that, you know, you, a, a ordinary person who got a concealed uh, carry permit, is going to do better than the police, you know, is, is a, it's a fallacy. And just today there was a case where, a concealed carry holder opened fire on um, some people who had shoplifted from mm, from Home right. Depot, and, the, and they drove away, and she shot at their fleeing car. And I think that she's just fortunate that there weren't children around or something, you know, that some innocent didn't get killed. And once again, that she herself didn't get killed. Uh, I remember after the Tucson uh, shooting uh, where, 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 where Congresswoman Gabby Giffords was shot, 
outside the Safeway there, the woman who eventually tackled the shooter when he had to stop to change magazines, she almost got killed by a so-called good guy with a gun who came running out of the Safeway, pulled his gun, uh, and almost shot the woman thinking that she was the shooter, and he thought better of it at the last second, thank God. I mean, Joshua Holland, we see example after example of this. Of course, uh, the you know the folks who support this ridiculous myth of a good guy with a gun, they also cite their own evidence, their own studies, and you took a look at some of those studies in your report at, uh, at The Nation. What did you find about their evidence that, uh, to support the idea that, we need good guys to stop the bad guys. Well, you have the work of uh, an economist named John Lott. He has been uh, debunked by fellow researchers for 15 years. He's he's really a kind of fringe character. Um, he, when asked by other researchers for his raw data, he said that he had he had lost it in a computer crash. <laughs> There was another study, and I, I put this in, in quotes, you know. If you could see my fingers, I'd be making little finger quotes. Yes. There was another study by a conservative blogger that found that in a mass shooting situation, if there's a good guy with a gun there, 2.5 people die on average. If there's no good guy with a gun, 18 people die on average. So Pete Blair from the University of Texas, who put together that study with the FBI, actually, he said, well, there's a couple problems with this. First of all, 2.5 people being, uh, 2.5 casualties does not count as a mass shooting. No, it's, it's four or more. Right. And then he said there's incredibly few uh, events where, where there's as many as 18 casualties. He counted, I think he said three over that 13-year period. So there's, there's no way there could be an average of 18. So the well, blogger then admitted that he had... Yeah. Um, he had done the study. His methodology was to find some list on the Internet, uh-huh. and he couldn't remember where he found it. So this is the type of data, you know, that, that, the, that the gun lobby is, is relying on. I, I think his sample size, I think it was 10 different shootings. Ten, ten shootings, <laughs> a list of 10 shootings he had found on the Internet, but sorry, he doesn't know where. Uh, I, you know, I wish we actually had, I wish it wasn't so difficult. We talked a little bit in the last segment about, uh, you know, why it is so difficult because, you know, one of the reasons is because Congress in 1996 uh, threatened to take away funding from the CDC if they did studies of gun violence and gun death. And uh, so because of that, because of the threat, and also the National uh, Institute for Health. So uh, because of that, uh, we do have people who are out on the Internet able to uh, pick and choose and cherry pick and make stuff up because we really don't have the kind of data that we could use uh, to combat this this uh, situation as a public health problem, which I That's believe right. is what it is. The CDC is, is not allowed to study it as a uh, there is there is some movement on this, I understand. But at, at the moment, the CDC is barred from studying it as a public health issue. There There are some private. Um, studies, some academic studies. I cited a, a so-called meta-analysis, which took data from 16 previous peer-reviewed studies, and what it concluded was that having access to a firearm um, increased your likelihood of being a victim of homicide. It doubled your chances of being a victim of a homicide, and it increased your uh, chances of of being uh, of committing suicide by almost three times. So. Mm-hmm. The notion that guns, you know, make us safer is 
flatly contradicted by all the solid evidence. And I, I also cited a Washington Post analysis using uh, Bureau of Justice statistics, and it found that for every time there was a justifiable homicide, in other words, for every time a good guy with a gun intervened in uh, bad guy's nefarious do- dealings, there were 34 homicides, 78 suicides, and two accidental deaths. Oh, you and your evidence and your science and your peer-reviewed studies, Joshua Holland. Uh, very quickly, uh, before I let you go, uh, politics and reality radio. People can download it via iTunes. Uh, have you just given us an idea of the type of thing they might hear on politics and reality radio, Josh? Yeah, we do. A real simple show. I talk to three smart people each week and uh, give, them, give them enough time to have the kind of discussion we have as opposed to those four-minute, five-minute segments that makes you rush through. Thank you for doing exactly that. Joshua Holland of the Investigative Fund at the Nation Institute. Check out his new article at The Nation, Combat Vets Destroy the NRA's Heroic Gunslinger Fantasy, and go on over to iTunes and download Politics and Reality Radio. Josh, great to talk to you, my friend. Uh, Thanks for your good work on this report. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. You bet. Okay, quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the latest Green News report, including some updates and more. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. You know what that means. (laughs) Melting for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report here momentarily. Uh, Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, uh, you made a very good point about uh, something that Josh Holland had mentioned as we were talking to him. uh, That that story today out of Detroit uh, in the, the woman who opened fire in a parking lot. That was actually a Home Depot uh, parking lot. Uh, let me. And you had you had not heard that story. Previously? I had not heard that. Yeah. No. So this woman. Well, let me uh, read you the story from AFP. Uh, a, a woman in suburban Detroit opened on a shoplifter. Opened fire on a shoplifter after seeing a security guard chase him out of a Home Depot store. Police said the shoplifter in Tuesday's Home Depot incident was not injured. The Detroit Free Press said it was not clear if the woman who has a license to carry a concealed weapon would face any charges for taking the law into her own hands. The woman, 48 years old, was in the parking lot when she saw a security guard chase a black man in his 40s out of the store. The man jumped into a waiting sport utility vehicle and the woman opened fire when it began to pull away. So apparently she knew nothing about what had actually happened. She just saw some guy being chased by a security guard and decided to take things into her own hands and start shooting at him. According to the police, there were actually many people in the parking lot. Wow. At the time when the woman started shooting at this fleeing SUV. Police spokeswoman told a WXYZ reporter that the best thing to do, the best thing that anybody who witnesses or thinks they're witnessing a crime could do for us is gather information, write down information, and provide it to the officers when they arrive. Wow. What what strikes me the most about this is 
Apparently, she was willing to kill somebody for what would essentially be shoplifting. Death penalty for shoplifting. Yes. yes. Summary execution yes. for shoplifting with no trial. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm going to hope that they got the uh, SUV's license plate number. She was so busy shooting. But she was so busy shooting, trying to kill him for shoplifting. And this was something we had talked about back uh, after Trayvon Martin and this whole stand your ground, that nonsense, that myth. That, you know, baloney where people would, uh, you know, end up shooting people, again, for robbery. They weren't under any threat. Uh, you know, we talked to stories at the time of, you know, people hearing their, their neighbor's house being broken into. So they would go over there and start shooting at the robbers. That's what the, po- well, that's what the police are for. Not for shooting at the robbers, but the police, you know, call the police. Call the police. You're not in charge. Let the police do their jobs. You don't get to be a judge and jury. And executioner. And executioner for a shoplifter at Home Depot. Brother. Anyway, all right. Well, you know what? <clears throat> we're we're, we're going to be uh, taking a, a day or two off. The uh, great Nicole Sandler from Radio or Not will be filling in for us for, for the next day or two. Although we will have a, a new uh, Fresh Green News report. Uh, coming up in the next couple of days. But, um, you know, we can go back uh, now that we're done with this story. We can go back to not talking about it at all. Now that the Umqua College shooting is several days old, we can go back to not talking about it, not doing anything about it, and pretending that the myths that the wingnuts like to to pass off like they're real. Like, uh, stand your ground, good guy with a gun. All of that is needed to stop a bad guy with a gun. That the Second Amendment is meant to uh, keep the government from uh, tyranny and fascism. Well, the saddest part about that, about the not doing anything about these Mm -hmm. mass shootings, for example, is that there are American families today sitting around, talking to each other, knowing each other is okay. There are American families right now who are going to be devastated by more mass shootings that will come because we know they will. So there are people that are alive today who will not be because of mass shootings that are to come, because we can't get Congress to do anything. Speaking of can't getting Congress to do anything, <laughs> my Kevin McCarthyism, uh, speaking of uh, them not doing anything about problems that we know about, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. We are at a thousand-year level um, of rain in parts of the low country. Biblical rain and record flooding in South Carolina. What we're seeing play out is precisely what we warned you know, would play out decades ago. Is this now the new normal? India announces it will cut its carbon emissions. Plus, EPA announces new ozone rules to cut air pollution. So many rules, so little time. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I think it's just awesome that this Pope took on this issue. And there he was, the grandmaster flash of crazy, non-evidentiary nonsense, lecturing the Republicans on reality. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. This is your Green News Report. Gonna soak up the sun. Gonna 
Okay, Desi Doyen, a thousand-year drought out here in California, a thousand-year flood out in South Carolina, hundreds dead now, almost 200 dead in landslides thanks to flooding down in Guatemala. Is this all the new normal? That would be what climate scientist Michael Mann suggests. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, President Obama has declared a federal emergency for South Carolina after Hurricane Joaquin passing offshore triggered biblical flooding in the state, one of the worst flooding events in U.S. history. Parts of the coast receiving up to 24 inches of rain in 24 hours. We have lost everything. What we continue to go through is unlike anything any of us has ever seen. Although it didn't make landfall, Joaquin pointed a fire hose of moisture directly at South Carolina, causing catastrophic flooding that has killed at least nine people. In a press conference on Sunday, South Carolina's Republican Governor Nikki Haley warned of the intensity of the rainfall. We haven't seen this level of rain in the low country in a thousand years. That's how big this is. That's how um, South Carolina is what South Carolina is dealing with. Now to clarify what a thousand year rain event really means is it's so extreme there's only a one in a thousand chance of it occurring in any given year. This historic rain event overwhelmed South Carolina's infrastructure but the true amount of rainfall and flooding may never be known because many of the gauges were washed away. Now remember, Hurricane Joaquin caused this damage without making landfall. At nearly Category 5 strength, it was the strongest hurricane ever recorded this far north in the Atlantic this late in the year. And it didn't even strike land. That's what's amazing to me about this. This much flooding and the hurricane was hundreds of miles off the coast. It was fueled by the warmest sea surface temperatures ever seen. On the broadcast on Monday, climate scientist Michael Mann said the precise influence of global warming on this particular event will take time to calculate, but it was definitely a factor. You know, we have prima facie evidence that this isn't a thousand-year event because it's happening now and events like this are becoming a lot more common. Climate change is very detectably increasing the likelihoods of precisely these sorts of events. What we're seeing play out is precisely what we warned, you know, would play out decades ago. Yeah, I love when these people, the Republicans in particular, you know, come out. Who could have expected it? We could have never foreseen it. Well, yes, it was foreseen. It was expected. You people just didn't give a damn enough to pay attention. Either that or you were more worried about your funders from the fossil fuel industry. Meanwhile, the Environmental Protection Agency last week issued new rules to cut the amount of dangerous ozone pollution emitted by factories and cars. Ozone is an ingredient in toxic smog, which causes asthma and serious respiratory diseases. Environmental groups criticized the new rules, noting that the EPA set the new standard at the weakest end of the range recommended by its own scientists to protect public health. Finally, in international climate treaty negotiations, India has committed to reduce its carbon emissions, but with a twist. India is trying to lift millions of its citizens out of extreme poverty, so instead of capping its emissions, India will reduce its emissions intensity. That's the amount of greenhouse gas emissions required to produce economic growth. India will cut its emissions intensity up to 35 percent by 2030, based on 2005 levels, mostly by using lower carbon carbon energy sources. Cut the emissions intensity? 
Yes, if you use natural gas instead of coal, natural gas has half the emissions intensity that coal does to generate the same amount of electricity. I'll save everyone the montage that I often play whenever we talk about China and the Republicans claiming they would never cut their emissions. But for those who remember that montage, the Republicans are always talking about China and India, how they, both countries, will never cut their emissions. Guess they were wrong again. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Once again, the updated uh, death toll in the Carolinas at this point is, uh, what are we up to? 17. 17. So the, uh, the cost of that disaster continues, uh, and the cost of rebuilding will be extraordinary. Uh, Des, you have talked about the long tail of these disasters. What does that mean when we hear that phrase? Uh, that means that it takes a long time, much longer than the actual event that actually occurred. This was a pretty extended rain event, you know, four or five days. But the long tail of this is it's going to take them months, if not years, to recover and rebuild. I mean, right now they have the sewage systems are backing up and flooding into the streets. People have no water. Tens of thousands of people have been completely cut off from their water systems, which is good because it's been contaminated mm. with pollutants and bacteria. You have uh, not people without electricity, you have bridges knocked out, and you have roads knocked out. All of that is going to take time to rebuild. And the dam system, the system of dams yeah. that they have, those are all uh, collapsed. They're going to have to point. rebuild those dams too. Mm. And these are in, you know, in the lowlands, we know that uh, we're going we're seeing a rising seas, we're seeing more of these storms. They've got earthen dams that are going to give way. You know, for the last eight years, Republicans have been complaining about a lack of jobs. The economy's not coming back. We could have been hardening our infrastructure in South Carolina, in North Carolina, everywhere in this country, in South Florida, where we talked about, I think it was on yesterday's show, the, the salt water that is now uh, encroaching into the uh, into the right, drinking water system. And, uh, as, it's salt water yeah. intrusion into their freshwater supplies. As the seas rise, they are intruding into the freshwater underneath and it's going to cost millions to pump out that water uh, well you know what we can keep uh, screaming into the void as it were uh speaking of which actually there are some uh, we we have mentioned uh, some things that are actually getting done some rules that the obama administration is able to put in place in regard to ozone and uh some more rules they're able to put in place without approval they'll have to you know fight in court over it but uh, they don't have to get approval from the Congress, at least. So new, more new rules concerning the use of pesticides. Yes, this is a really important rule. Pesticides have not been updated for 20 years or more. And uh, pesticide use has soared. And the EPA doesn't have the budget or even the authority right now to investigate and test pesticides. They've only tested individually about 200 pesticides out of the 80,000-something pesticides that no. are available 
80, on the market. 80,000? I am not kidding you. Wow. Yes, they uh, rely on companies' self-reported testing. They say it's safe, <laughs> and the EPA has to accept that. I love so that. So basically, they've updated the uh, pesticide rules so that uh, children under 18, farm workers under 18, will not have to handle pesticides, will not be allowed to, because they have been up until now. Oh, Monsanto going to be mad about that? They've also passed, uh, EPA has been on a roll, they've passed ozone rules. Ozone causes uh, heart disease and stroke and um, and, and asthma attacks. Yep. But the National Association of Manufacturers was very upset with this new rule. So even the though... The ozone rule? Yeah, the yeah. ozone rule. Even though the EPA set it at the weakest possible standard that its own scientists recommended, the National Association of Manufacturers says, no, that's just too much. It's too much cost for too little benefit. Uh, one public health organization calculated that the difference between the weak standard that the EPA put in versus the standard their scientists recommended, that several thousand people will die from asthma attacks and heart disease, from that pollution, from ozone, that the National Association of Manufacturers says that's too expensive oh, for too little benefit. Yeah, well... Maybe not to those people. Well, because the only thing that stops a bad guy with pesticide is a good guy with an ozone rule or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, Desi Doyen, my producer, thank you very much for that report and for all you do. And, of course, my thanks to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, and to Joshua Holland of The Nation uh, and of the podcast Politics and Reality Radio. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's broadcast or any other, you can always download it at bradblog.com uh, or over at iTunes, where you can subscribe for free and just get them sent to you every day. We hope if you stop by iTunes, you, uh, you give us a good review, make it a little bit easier for everyone else to find the broadcast. Uh, drop us email if you like. We are bradcast at bradblog.com. As I say, we're going to be uh, off for a day or two, but never fear your bradcast will still be here as guest hosted by the lovely Nicole Sandler of radioornot.com. Find us and follow us while we're on the road uh, on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.